Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletaub from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Corvallis is Susan Frisha. Susan is Director of Compliance at Oregon State University and was good enough to speak at the 2022 uh, SCCE Higher Education Compliance Conference. First, Susan, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Hi, Adam. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. And I, I got to say, uh, we're doing this because I was, I was looking through the agenda for the conference. I love the title of your session, How to Eat an Elephant, Big Compliance, Small Program. Uh, so many compliance professionals are in small programs. What, what are some of the unique challenges other than limited resources? Right. Well, so I actually love working in a small program. So for me, it doesn't feel like a challenge. I work with compliance partners across the campus. It's really collaborative. And so I get to do relationship building and advising. I connect folks to resources. I provide compliance scaffolding and structure for them to do their work. Um, I think there's always a question of limited resources, whether you're, you're in a small program or a large one. And I think we have a tendency to say, well, if only I had another staff person or only if we had this new technology, then that would fix everything. And I think when you're in a small program and you don't rely on additional resources, you have to actually think more carefully about process improvement, how to be efficient and leverage what you already have. Yeah, it is easy, as you point out, to think that there is that one thing that's going to solve the problem if you had more dollars. And and perhaps being forced to think more creatively really does lead to a a better approach. Now, one challenge is even though you're a small program, you still have to reach the entire organization. How can you have big reach while still being a part of a small program? Right. That big reach is critical because higher ed really is one of the more highly regulated industries in this country. And it's because of the wide range of work that institutions of higher ed do. We've got financial aid, enrollment, housing and dining, chemical radiation and biosafety and labs. We're doing human subjects, research, um, ensuring civil rights protections like the ADA for students and employees both. And so we at Oregon State University have compliance operational units own each of those compliance functions. So for example, environmental health and safety reports up through finance and admin. Title IX, for example, reports to the president. Um, No one reports to me. I'm an office of one and I'm housed within a broader office of audit risk and compliance that has more employees. So that big reach is really working with those compliance partners. And I come in to work with them if things are sticky or bumpy or just need some extra attention. Um, often if there's a new law or guidelines that are coming down the pike, I'll go in to work with the unit. Um, I actually most often will go in when there are issues that span multiple ownership areas. So roles and responsibilities and process need to be clarified. And I'm a neutral body that can come in and work with everyone and say, where are the challenges? What do we need to figure out? How do we align to the um, laws or regulations that apply? And so a quick example of that is one of my first projects when I came on to Oregon State University about three years ago was about shipping hazardous goods. There are three units that each own a piece of that process. Mailing services, which reports up through marketing and communications, hazardous material, which is owned by environmental health and safety, and export controls, which of course come in if there's 
products or materials going in or out of the country. And that reports up to the research office. So I came in and worked with them collaboratively to figure out um, how, to, how to process, improve, and clarify that. Um, the last thing that I'll mention is that I do also help on-ramp new compliance partners. So that's part of my outreach and big reach is to be with them. And the success of our compliance and ethics program really is about those partners. The reach is big because of them and my working with them, but really the work and their expertise. Well, I, I like that approach that you take. It's an interesting one because, you know, using that example you gave and, and sort of the whole approach is your role becomes one of a problem solver, which makes compliance a value add uh, to the organization, um, which is just a terrific reputation to have. Now, it's always critical that members of the compliance team work efficiently and effectively for their program, but it's more of a challenge for smaller ones. How do you ensure that people are working at their best and, and, and not just working? Right, and as I mentioned, I don't have any direct reports. So my work really is about being invited in, and my approach is always to assume that people want to be doing their best. If there's some kind of friction between compliance, units or with faculty and staff or even within an office, it's usually from my perspective because there isn't clarity around roles and responsibilities or maybe the process that they're following is over or under engineered or there have been some changes and it's just not working anymore. So I get to come in and work with them on that. And it's really critical that those solutions are developed by those offices that own the process and do that work that they have ownership and buy-in. So I am never coming in and telling them what they need to do. I am not the person that comes in with the answer. I come in to work with them to discover what the problem is and then develop a solution together. Sometimes people really just need to hear that their work is really complex and that others are having similar challenges. And that's part of my role as well in my um, consultative role with compliance partners across the institution. Some folks are really um, islands within their unit, and there aren't many other folks who are doing compliance work of any kind, or certainly doing compliance work like what they do. So that is a helpful way for me to ensure that everyone is doing their best in their compliance functions. Finally, I'll just mention that I often remind folks that things will go wrong. I think there's a lot of stress around compliance to get it just right and have everything be perfect and avoid any incidents of non-compliance. And that pressure can really build in, um, in folks. The reality is that half of the seven elements of effective compliance are about how to report, how to investigate, how to address, and how to learn from non-compliance. And so even though we're always doing our best to prevent that, um, something will happen and then we respond. And I think for compliance um, officers, compliance partners who feel like they have to hold everything together, they just need to know that I'm there to support them, that the university is there to support them, and that honest mistakes and an improvement mindset are always welcome, and we will figure things out together. And you, and you make another good point there, which is things are always going to go wrong. I mean, it, you know, expecting a compliance program to be perfect and catch every problem is just unrealistic. You know, the human capacity for finding its way around rules or getting into trouble is kind of infinite. It's be the same <laughs> as like expecting that there will never be any crime in a city. Uh, there's always someone who's doing something. The question, you know, as you point out, is when that happens, what did you learn from it? How did you fix it? How do you prevent that thing from happening again? 
um, those kinds of things. Uh, you know, perfection is just not achievable. Now, no compliance program works in a vacuum. Uh, you need to work with HR legal audit. You're actually part of a broader audit office. And, and even the operations unit, as you talked about, how do you maximize the coordination and relationship with them? Yeah, those are, um, working with the compliance partners is so important, but then there are also these other partners of HR, legal, audit. And as yes, as I mentioned, I report up through the Office of Audit, Risk, and Compliance, and that's new for me. I haven't worked as closely within an audit function in the past or, or adjacent to a, an audit function. Um, and I really value their perspective. My audit colleagues um, have such great expertise, and I've learned a lot from them. Um, we, I think, between audit, risk, and compliance are three of the offices that really have a sense of everything that's going on. We have a very broad view across the institution. And so with that comes a perspective that is unique, and we can collaborate in different ways. So audit, of course, has a different function than mine. When they come into audit a unit, I'm stepping back because my work really was before that, helping operationalize systems that audit then comes in to look at. Um, general counsel, I work with probably daily. Um, and again, that's another area that is so valuable because we rely on them for, uh, for example, interpreting new laws that come down the pike. How does this apply to us and how are we going to um, uh, how are we going to operationalize it? That question then comes more over to my compliance side and I'll work with the, with the units on that. So with general counsel, sometimes we're both at the table for really complex issues, but often it's really a, a collaborative approach to say, all right, you'll handle that part and then I'll step in and continue the work from this, from this end. And then if something goes really um, awry, then general counsel will step back in. So th those are um, an additional layer of partnerships that I really, really value. Well, and you're not alone. I mean, as much as compliance programs don't like reporting to the general counsel, when we survey them, they always say it's the strongest relationship that they have. Finally, um, it, you know, when we talk a lot, people always want to see the big, you know, gilded program with all the fancy bells and whistles and learn from that. But is there anything that big programs could learn from smaller ones? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I mentioned earlier that I don't think that more resources, more people, more technology are always the solution. Um, and I'll just note that larger programs don't necessarily have more resources in total sum. It's just that um, in universities especially, sometimes those compliance functions are consolidated under one centralized compliance umbrella. So if, for example, we took the Environmental Health and Safety Unit and Title IX, and you know, some of the research functions and had them report to me, we would still have the same number of folks. They would just be um, housed in a different location. So just wanna distinguish those two things. Um, I think that there is a benefit, at least from my perspective and at my institution, um, of not having, um, of, of having some independence, right? Of having some arm's length, of having the compliance partners be able to consult and coordinate with me, collaborate with me, but also have their own reporting chain to connect them to the broader mission and the function of their unit. I mean, compliance is so important, but I often say to my compliance partners that compliance isn't the mission of higher ed. Teaching, research, outreach, engagement are our research, and we have to have compliance offices to ensure that we're following federal and state laws. 
but having those compliance offices as close to the core functions as possible, I think is really important. Um, I, one other thing I think I'll mention about just what large programs could learn from small ones is that I really have to be thoughtful about my annual risk assessment and my prioritization of projects and work. There's one me and there are over 100 compliance partners. And so I have to make an annual plan and determine where I'm going to focus my attention each year, whether it's on collaborative projects that I'm helping lead and also areas where I'm going to always um, be available to do consultation immediately for those high risk areas. So I think that's something that larger programs probably also do, but it's so critical to me and um, even within my organization, I try to model this for the unit. Here's the risk assessment I've done. Here's my annual plan. Here's how updates are. Here's the progress that I'm making. And so I try to maximize my reach and leverage others in the work that they're doing by creating a, a, a community of compliance partners that we're working together. Hopefully we're all aligning under the mission, um, but it's really done in a decentralized nature. Well, and there's never anything wrong really with transparency and accessibility and uh, willing to work collaboratively. Well, um, Susan, this has been a great conversation. Uh, I wish the elephant was here with us, but um, <laughs> I'm glad we tackled the topic. Uh, I wanna thank you for you know sharing these insights with us and I wanna thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turtletaub from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.